The buzzards are learning. The buzzards are adapting. Buzzard writes in at Sans Bacon, S-A-N-S-B-A-C-O-N. He writes, what do you think of my wide receiver running back prediction paradox theory? It's easier to predict wide receivers than running backs for season long production. And yet it's more difficult to predict wide receiver production on a per week basis, week to week. Well, that's absolutely correct. At Sans Bacon nailed it. Apparently, if you don't eat pig products, you get smarter. Oh, look at him. He don't eat pork. Well, this guy is not eating pork, and he understands fantasy football better than 99.9999999% of fantasy gamers. This strikes to the heart of the key theoretical foundation for building redraft rosters and DFS rosters. He's distilled it down to the crux of it all. It's very difficult to predict full season running back performances year to year. Why? Because the running back position has a higher bust rate and a higher injury rate. From one season to the next, you have less certainty about the production that you're going to receive from any given running back compared to any given wide receiver. That notion is what the concept of anti-fragility and zero RB is built on. And the reverse is true when you're building your weekly DFS lineups. The position on the depth chart and the matchup, those are the key predictors of running back production on a per week basis. That's why this concept of the free square running back is much more prevalent than the free square wide receiver. You have a new running back that's been elevated to the primary back role for his team who will be facing a soft run defense. That's a free square. When a wide receiver is elevated up the depth chart, like we'll see this week with J.J. Nelson being elevated to the starting lineup after the release of Michael Floyd, the depth chart elevation and the corresponding matchup does not necessarily translate into additional targets and opportunities for J.J. Nelson there's a high probability that he will receive a target spike that aligns with an increase in snaps, but that extrapolation has significantly more uncertainty than the running back touch extrapolation that we'll be doing this week for Kenneth Dixon and Kenneth Farrow. The Kenneths, yes. We have two free square running backs this week because on DraftKings, Kenneth Dixon's salary was set without accounting for his new role as the primary back, which was established on Monday Night Football. DraftKings is not accounting for the current reality in which... Kenneth Dixon now exists. He's $3,800 on DraftKings. That's even less than Kenneth Farrow, who's $4,400. Both of them are exceptional values. Kenneth Dixon and Kenneth Farrow this week are two of the top five values of the season on DraftKings. Two of the top five values of the season are both available in week 15. But we have a dilemma. The two running backs with the highest Voss value over stream, now by a wide margin after Le'Veon Bell melted our face with fantasy points last week. David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell both have friendly matchups in week 15. David Johnson faces New Orleans. They give up plus 3.0 fantasy points above the mean to opposing running backs. Le'Veon Bell against Cincinnati. They give up a point and a half of PPR points above the mean to opposing running backs. 
We have Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson projected to score five more points than the next running back on our rankings, LaShawn McCoy. Check out our rankings. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. So the dilemma is we have four exceptional options at the running back position. I'm more intrigued than I've ever been to see the lineups that the computer generates for the DFS lineup genius. Playerprofiler.com forward slash optimal dash lineup. There you'll see five cash game lineups and 10 suggested GPP lineups for DraftKings and FanDuel. Those will be posted tomorrow. Will the computer do what it's been doing the last couple months, just spitting out lineups with David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell on top? Or, because Kenneth Farrow and Kenneth Dixon offer such extreme value in Week 15, will the value factor override the high, 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 high high-end production? The mind-bending ceilings that David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell bring to the table? I don't know. Like you, I will find out at some point tomorrow. But I do want to tip my cap. I'm not wearing a cap. I'm going to put a cap on right now. There it is. I'm putting a cap on at this very moment. I'm tipping my cap. It's literal. It's not metaphorical. Actually tipping my cap to at Sands Bacon for succinctly conceptualizing why most of the suggested daily fantasy lineups feature David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell, all the while recommending zero RB as your draft concept for seasonal leagues over the summer. Depending on the context, the positional volatility is reversed. Mind blow. And when we talk about seasonal leagues, unfortunately, many of our teams have blown up. They're gone. So how do we keep it interesting in week 14? No halftime. Go to that Kenneth Farrow page on playerprofiler.com and click the icon that reads play Kenneth Farrow on no halftime. Download the app to your phone or if you're on a computer, enter your mobile number and it will send you a text message to easily download the app once you get to your phone. Either way, get on no halftime, enter the promo code player100 and you can start to set up single player challenges. Knowing that we have free square running backs at our disposal, set up no halftime challenges against your friends. Structure the challenge so Kenneth Dixon is going head-to-head against a running back with more brand equity, yet less projected points on the playerprofiler.com player rankings. Kenneth Dixon versus Doug Martin. Kenneth Farrow versus Lamar Miller. No halftime is amazing because it facilitates prop bets between friends. So you should take advantage. Pew, 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 Kenneth Dixon. Pew, pew, pew. Kenneth Farrow. Pew, pew, pew. And once you've set up some single player prop bets, you can also draft an entire team using the snake draft method on the draft app. Once you've downloaded No Halftime, type in draft and download the draft app and you can join four person drafts, six person drafts, eight person drafts, 10 person drafts. Enter the promo code UNDERWORLD, draft a full, unique roster for Week 15 only, and you and all your friends that have already been eliminated from the fantasy playoffs can play daily fantasy without worrying about Condia and salaries and everyone playing the same players. Draft solves all of those problems, and its players win more money in the process. This is going to be an exciting week. 
Kenneth Farrow and Kenneth Dixon and Tevin Coleman and Spencer Ware and Bilal Powell and LeGarrette Blunt and Jordan Howard will be running onto the field waving the zero RB flag only to be annihilated by those teams that drafted David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell in the early rounds. <laughs> It's going to be a fun offseason defending zero RB. But why wait for the offseason? Let's start now. Let's bring on Christopher Harris from Harris Football and ask him for his thoughts on Kenneth Dixon and Kenneth Farrow, zero RB. Christopher Harris is one of the good guys in the industry. Like me, he launched his own website, harrisfootball.com. Check out his podcast in the App Store. Search for Harris Football and make sure you're following him on Twitter at Harris Football. Welcome to the Roto Underworld program, Christopher Harris, Mr. Harris Football. Talk to me! (laughs) I'm not going to yell at you, but hi. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes! We're excited to talk to you. You've had a super intriguing career path coming up through ESPN and then going out on your own, creating your own fantasy football enterprise. And you're one of the few people to actually leave ESPN and carry their audience with them and then grow it and take it to another level. It's an incredible accomplishment. So how did you do that, Christopher Harris? Boy, I don't know. It's a... (sighs) It's a really good question, and I, if I had an answer, I guess I would, I would, I would patent it. Um, I'm lucky, super, super lucky. I mean, I, I have a loyal fan following, fan base, whatever p- partnership with listeners. Like, I, I believe me, when I left ESPN, my plan wasn't, hey, I'm super psyched to start this new enterprise. It was like, it's, Ju- it was July of last year or August of last year, and the way talent contracts work at ESPN is just, you know, you're up when you're up, and. They, they offered me to come back and they were really generous and I have no complaints and I was just sort of been there eight years and was feeling like it was sort of groundhog year, if you know what I mean, where yeah, yeah. every season kind of felt the same and I was writing the same thing every year and driving down to Bristol, Connecticut every day, you know, the same day uh, of the week and doing the same segments and in the end it just was like I I just I said no to the sweetheart deal and I have no complaints at all. They're super sweet people. I love everybody there. I was just sort of done and it was a, like a gut-wrenching decision to, to, to do that. I would have been nervous. Sure, I'm very nervous. And if it, if it happened in February, I might not have even done my own venture. Like I didn't assume that it would work. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I just thought I was going to do something else and I didn't know what. But it happened in August. So I had all that crap. You know how you get in August. Like you have so much stuff in your head for the upcoming season. Yes. I'd, I'd always wished – that at ESPN, I had a podcast, but it was two days a week, and I'd always wished that I'd gotten a chance to do five a week. So I thought, all right, since I don't have anything else to do and I've got all the stuff in my head, I guess I'll just try to put out a podcast with no marketing. I had a good Twitter following, but like had no expectation. You know, the nightmare scenario was it would be December of last year and I'd have 800 people listening, and that would be okay. Uh, but I would have to keep doing it, even though I knew it was a failure, right? And then in January, I figured I'd I'd just sort of do whatever came next in my life. It wouldn't be fantasy. And instead, it just went boom. I mean, boom. right away, so many people came along for the ride. And instantly, it was like, oh, this is a business. Whoops. Like, I didn't plan on that. But it's been awesome. You are the Mark Marin of 
<laughs> fantasy podcasters, which Thank is you. the highest compliment for a podcaster. Absolutely. You needed to be put in a place where you were uncomfortable. That's what coaches always talk about doing with their athletes, putting them in uncomfortable positions to get the most out of them. And that's what you ended up doing. You volunteered to put yourself in an uncomfortable position. And only then were you able to take everything to another level. Sure. I mean, I didn't plan on taking it to another level. So I, this all looks like it has some grand design, if you know what I mean. Like, you know, I, I really honestly, this is not me, me being humble. I had no idea that this number of people would come along. I mean, it is crazy. Uh, so, so like it happened in stages where as soon as it was like, wait, 10,000 people just listened to that first show, which for, for a first show, that's insane. And I'm, I'm way many multiples, many, many multiples times that now, but like I had to adjust everything at that moment where I, I was like, oh, oh my God, this is, this is, there's demand for this. This is, this could be really fun. But, but I totally take your meaning, which is like, it's life is short. It's so easy to say that, but it really is like, I'm going to die, you know, and it's not all that far off. And if, you know, comfortable is fine and uncomfortable can be bad, but a little discomfort can be good. Someone else has been thrust into an uncomfortable situation and we will see if he can rise up. Matt Moore. <laughs> that is a segue. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Moore is replacing Ryan Tannehill, who was performing at a below replacement level before he hurt his knee. What are the chances that Matt Moore actually outperforms Ryan Tannehill to close out the season? I mean, I wouldn't put it at zero percent. Um, could happen. Uh, it could happen, sure, because I don't think Tannehill in the end, he's he's less than the sum of his parts. I mean, he has a good arm. He's got really good athleticism. He's a good runner and never runs. And he doesn't have really great throwing accuracy. So maybe the kid who comes in and just does exactly what he's programmed to do and gets the ball off on time and doesn't sort of waver and throws it where the receivers are supposed to be, all things that Tannehill doesn't, sometimes does do and can get on good rolls, but definitely not all the time. Uh Sure. I, I think the ceiling for a Tannehill as a Dolphins quarterback, just not even fantasy wise, just sort of as an NFL player is so much higher than Matt Moore. I would be lying if I said I have, you know, seen 30 games worth of Matt Moore, right? We, we, none of us have. He hasn't played. He hasn't been a starter all that often. But I think he's much more of a system play. But sometimes that's exactly what you need. It could be what Miami needs. Well, Miami has the weaponry. Miami has the right wide receiver talent profiles in the right places. Kenny still stretching the field. Devontae Parker in the intermediate routes. Jarvis Landry close to the line of scrimmage. Now they have that proper every down all situation tight end in Dion Sims so now I think that the pieces are there for a shot taking game manager in that Andy Dalton mold to come in and have a lot of success so I wouldn't be surprised at all if Matt Moore outperforms Ryan Tannehill to everyone's surprise but you and I <laughs> regardless the Miami Dolphins are a fraud because Miami is the fraud capital of the United States, and it makes sense that their football team would be a fraud with or without a healthy Tannehill. But there's another fraud in the NFL 
potentially an even bigger fraud, the Detroit Lions. Assuming Tannehill and Matthew Stafford are healthy come playoff time, entering the playoffs, which team is a bigger fraud, Dolphins or Lions? I guess I'm going to say Dolphins right now because I know people are saying By- Byron Maxwell's playing well. Like I, d- I don't think the secondary in Miami against a real quarterback where they're really focused in game planning for you will hold up, whereas I, the Lions have legitimately played better and Darius Slade hasn't had a great year, but certainly played well last week, certainly played well against New Orleans. Like it's coming together a little bit on the back end. And so I guess I think the less fraudulent defense may be Detroit. But I'm I'm whole hundred percent agree with you that I'm not sure you can like people are all over Matthew Stafford as an MVP candidate. I'm, he's Alex Smith. He's Alex Smith. I mean he's essentially running the Alex Smith game plan. It's all those little dump off passes. You know, against the Bears, fewer of those, but that's probably because there's no theoretic. And you know, when Riddick's in there, it's just it's mult, it's double-digit passes behind the line of scrimmage every game. And so, of course, numbers wind up looking good, but that's why numbers can be useful. But for sure, seeing how the numbers are accrued is also really important. And I'm with you that um, it, it's just a, there's going to come a point where someone's going to say, "Okay, Matthew Stafford, you know, it's you and Marvin Jones. You, that's that's the only way you're going to beat us because otherwise, there's nobody who can go more than ten yards down the field." If NFL games were only three quarters long, <laughs> you'd be really screwed. <laughs> the Lions would have one of the worst records in the league. Yeah, sure. It just so happens that they've eked out close games in the fourth quarter. That's not an ability. There is no clutch gene. Sorry, Skip Bayless. They've benefited from the random events and outcomes on the football field that have just happened to allow them to barely score more points than their competition at the end of 60 minutes. But when a team that has a very small point differential reaches the playoffs without an elite quarterback, and Matt Stafford's not an elite quarterback, as you mentioned, that team will lose nine times out of 10 in the first round. And the Dolphins have no chance, zero chance that the Dolphins win a game in the playoffs. The Lions at least have a percentage chance, in my opinion, of winning a game. But it's predicated on Matthew Stafford being able to throw the football. He has a broken finger on his throwing hand. Yeah. How does a broken finger on a throwing hand affect one's ability to throw a football? I would think it would be impossible, but I'm not an NFL player. These guys play with broken bones every game. Remember DeMarco Murray two years ago playing with a broken hand in a meaningless game one of the craziest game time decisions I've ever seen. DeMarco Murray playing in a meaningless game with a broken hand, but that happened. So we're going to see Matthew Stafford playing with a glove. ESPN had a statistic that Matthew Stafford has more interceptions than touchdowns in games in which he wore a glove. What do you think of that stat? I think it's a nonsense stat. <laughs> Silly, d- different injuries. Um, right. You know, that that was a broken finger. This is not a broken finger. This is a dislocated finger with torn ligaments, and it's different. And he, he says it feels different. And, and to be honest, watching the film of the Bear game, I don't know. I mean, maybe a couple more flutters, but the accuracy wasn't bad i i guess i can't say like just because he didn't have accuracy problems against the bears at home in a controlled environment in week 14 automatically means he's not going to have them on the road in not a controlled environment against probably a better defense i can't say that for sure but i didn't see like immediate 
oh my God, after the first quarter, the kid just can't make the ball even go where he right. wants to. Like the pick six in that game is, it's a decision. That's a between the ears problem, not a finger problem. <laughs> uh, although he sort of gave his team the finger. Uh, but I, you know, my, my, uh, my feeling about Stafford is probably if he struggles, you know, it's going to be co- causation and correlation. It's the same old thing, right? I mean, if he struggles against the Giants. Because we're all doctors in fantasy football also. Everybody's going to go, oh, see, see, when he has finger problems. But it, but in the end, like, <laughs> right. But in the end, there are lots and lots of other factors. That, Pretty good. And, and one of those factors is, hey, do I think the Giants are great on defense? I don't, but they certainly are going to they're, – they're fine, and they're going to put pressure – they did against Dak Prescott. They're going to do against Stafford too. They're going to throw six guys at the line of scrimmage and say, "Beat us down the field when you don't have, when you're not comfortable." And Dak Prescott couldn't or wouldn't do it. And I'm, I'm honestly not sure whether Stafford's going to do it. My guess is, if he doesn't, it'll be less about the finger and more about sort of everything else. Well, Dominique Rogers, Cromartie matching up with Marvin Jones. They'll probably put Janoris Jenkins on Golden Tate. They might flip it. I don't know. Either way, they have two quality corners Janoris Jenkins is an elite corner so if they take those two weapons away then we're talking about Ebron and Bolden over the middle of the field doing most of the damage we'll see if Riddick is healthy I thought Riddick would be active he wasn't active so we'll see but I'm not a doctor yeah but I can tell you that it sounds bad to have a finger dislocated and to have torn ligaments not broken not broken everybody sorry sorry again I'm not a doctor but that just sounds bad it sounds bad but if he's playing that means that he's tested it out and he's able to throw the ball well so you have to let the medical professionals make the decision and not try to be a doctor so many fantasy gamers think they're doctors and we're not if he's out there and he plays well it's probably because he's not that great not because of the hand or the finger but like you said in this constant search to identify the cause yeah i i agree with that yeah yeah the finger will be to blame if matthew stafford gives his fantasy owners the finger in week 15 last week was fun we had Vern lundquist retire it's a touching moment in the booth did you see that? And what were your thoughts on Vern Lundquist's retirement? I didn't see it um, because I didn't care about the game. I, I, I'll watch those SEC, those CBS SEC games if it's Alabama against someone good, or I guess really that's it this year. It was the only one reason to watch was that Alabama against someone good. Um, just the SEC was down, and so I didn't see too many. You know, I I don't have a lot of personal emotional affinity to any announcers. I don't I don't particularly care. None of us do. Yeah, and I don't think he was all very good anymore. He might have been at at one time, but in the end, I mean, he'd lost his fastball and he was in an emeritus position. And That's right. I, you know, the whole announcing profession, if you want to go sort of down that route. I do. That's turned into hail fellow well met. That's turned into nobody say anything bad about it, anybody or else that gets back to the player. And then they might not let you interview them <gasps> the next time. And oh my God, <gasps> like... I got to say, I don't care what athletes say anyway. I don't care what coaches say anyway. I don't give a crap about access to any of them. So I'm just going to, you know, I'm never going to be on a network broadcast because I'm just going to say like John Gruden. I kind of, you know, John Gruden and Sean McDonough on Monday Night Football is a total mismatch. And it's not because they don't like each other. And it's not because there's bad chemistry. It's because Sean McDonough tells it like it is. And John Gruden tells it like he wishes it were or that, it, that you know, just that everybody, everything's the greatest thing he's ever seen. Look at that. That's so good. 
that's really good. Look at that. Ooh, look at that. Look at that play. See how good that is? John Gruden, in his own way, is the Donald Trump of football <laughs> broadcasters. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'd go there because I don't think Donald Trump's always so positive. But everything is fantastic. Everything we do is the best. <laughs> I guess. I mean, that's okay. That's a good point. Um, and like, so I think that's where they, cause I think Sean McDonough wants to be negative when it's warranted. It's like Johnny Miller gets this reputation for being, Oh, what a jerk. What an ass Johnny Miller is on a golf broadcast. Love Johnny Miller. Me too. Because he says that wasn't a very good effort. How dare you? How dare you call out a player for not right. That gets back to the player and he's not happy. And then he's not happy with me. Oh, <gasps> Right. And so I feel anyway, that's a long way of getting around to it feels like Vern is just sort of part of the chummy. Everything is great sort of side of things. And like one less of those guys is fine. But I'm sure he's a very, very nice man. <laughs> of course. Yes. The old boys club that is sports broadcasting has an even more insidious component, however, because when you look at Vern Lundquist, he looks like that super mischievous resident in the nursing home <laughs> and the nurses are tired of his antics, always flashing the nurse's station and running away laughing. For me, looking at Vern Lundquist, it reminds me that women in broadcasting are not allowed to go out on their own terms, Christopher. Right. Yeah. They are instead reminded that this is a visual medium in quotes. And it's one of the great sanctuaries for sexism in America. That's the sports broadcast booth. Do you agree? Sure, of course. Dude, I worked at ESPN for eight years. I mean, how many on-air people do I know personally who, you know, the, there's not a lot of unattractive women, on-air women walking around the halls at ESPN. And there are a lot of unattractive men <laughs> who are on-air walking around the, the halls. Um, sure, of course. And, and then, you know, what makes it worse is when the sideline reporter marries a player or starts dating a player or the it's all sort of of a piece that, that you know nobody's going to treat them like journalists and, and a lot of the times they don't treat themselves like journalists and that's not that's not at all always true i have plenty of female friends who are on air talent who would never do that who recognize it as an insane breach of the overall effort towards their career and somebody else's career and yet there's so many of them that have done it and do do it and get caught and it's a scandal and blah, blah, blah. Like everybody, all sides don't treat it like it's real and it's really sad. And honestly, like, can I can I just sort of wave my magic wand about sports coverage and just get rid of the sideline reporter altogether? It's completely useless. Once again, I don't give a crap what they said. I don't care what the coach told you walking off the field. He didn't reveal his soul or the game plan to you. So can we, he didn't tell you who's hurt, really, because he doesn't want anybody to know that. Can we stop? Unless it's going to be Mean Gene Okerman. If we're going to have a personality like that on the sidelines and we're going to get real professional wrestling style interviews like we had with <laughs> Akib Talib last weekend, then I would be in favor of that. Short of that, I have no interest in any of that. Right. They're all politicians. And my point about sexism comes down to, well, that's the only route that's open. And if that wasn't the only route that was open, if actually actual analysis actual in booth but you know we're barking up the wrong tree because we're where i mean i came up i came from espn there's never a chance for me to get taken seriously as well, I, i'm not trained to be a host although i do it now but like i'm not trained to be an on-air tv host so that job's not open to me and i can't be an analyst because i didn't play right and no woman played and so in the end like that's that's the excuse and it's lame the whole construct is set up to marginalize women in broadcasting, and I don't blame them at all when they get caught in these kinds of situations and their credibility as journalists gets diminished because they're playing 
by a different set of rules that are stacked against them. So that whole... I blame them. The whole construct, I think, is the problem. And what we have to do is you and I will create our own media company and we'll solve <laughs> all of these problems together. Right. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> we'll hire an army of writers, 100 writers, 50 women, 50 men, to write articles about how Kenneth Farrow is the no-brainer free square running back for DFS this week. Do you agree with that assessment? I used him. I used him in all my cards. Uh, I play DraftKings 4,400. I mean, you're not going to find us starting running back at 4,400 too often. And I don't think he's anything special, but I'll take the situation because you're going against Oakland. And Woo! I don't view Oakland as any kind of terrible matchup for a running back. I mean, of course, it, it sometimes doesn't work out, but it a lot of times does. And yeah, I mean, if I'm choosing between Kenneth Farrow and Ronnie Hillman, I sort of know one of those movies pretty well, and I don't like it. So I'll, I'll take Farrow. We're familiar with that plot line. We know how this movie ends with Ronnie Hillman. With Kenneth Farrow, he logged almost a full opportunity share last week because Melvin Gordon was hurt early in the contest. But even though he didn't get all the snaps, he still tied Melvin Gordon for the most receptions by a Chargers running back this season with six. That was by far and away the most encouraging number on the Chargers box score. Those six Kenneth Farrell receptions, six receptions on six targets. If you have great burst, 125.6, 81st percentile burst score on playerprofiler.com, upper percentile agility, size adjusted agility, even better, and you're a quality receiver and you bring dynamism in the passing game with size and burst and agility <sighs> suddenly you're checking a lot of boxes at 4400 going up against oakland pinch me but somehow some way kenneth dixon the other kenneth is even less expensive on DraftKings. kenneth dixon is under four thousand dollars on DraftKings. how is that possible and are you creating lineups that feature both dixon and Farrow? and if we're doing that that means we're not starting either david johnson or Le'Veon bell and i don't know what to do um, I don't feel as passionate about it as you do, but, uh, nobody does. Nobody does. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dixon, uh, it may be a little less appealing to me this week. I think he's, he's an interesting prospect and I, I like some of what he did against the Patriots. The workload for me for this season still, that's the big question. I mean, I could certainly build a case that the reason he's used a bunch and Terrence West doesn't use much in that Patriot game is because the Ravens are getting killed. Game flow. Right. And in the end, if it turns around the other way around, I mean, you, you could say. So I, I, I worry. I think Dixon's a good GPP type play. Sure. Because if you if you get the game flow that you need, he could get you 20 touches and then you're you're totally in slop. Um and you know, there's there are there are systemic issues that go beyond Terrence West or Kenneth Dixon with the Ravens offense that maybe I just don't want a part of. Uh, Steve Smith sort of made his feelings known. Not that I care what players say all that much, but Steve Smith, I'll make an exception. He's hilarious and smart and kind of truthful. And uh, he's a terrible offensive coordinator, and it's not a very good quarterback, and it's a game plan that just wants to wet fart around all night. And 
um, maybe I don't want a part of that. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. So the answer from Christopher Harris is, in cash games, just go ahead and stack the chips. Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, throw Kenneth Farrow in flex. Forget about Kenneth Dixon, except in GPPs. And I would agree with you. The one player I'm not playing in any format, I'm done. I mean, I'm done. <laughs> I'm not playing. I, I, even though we scored a touchdown last week, I just can't do it. And that's Lamar Miller. Uh. Which back between Lamar Miller and Kenneth Dixon is more cut out to be a proper bell cow in the NFL? I don't have too much question about who's more talented and, and who, well, it's Dixon. but week to week, Dixon. Mil- Miller's going to give me more Dixon. upside. Week to week, Miller's got a chance to win me fantasy games in a way I'm not sure Kenneth Dixon ever will. Um, but longer term, let, let's spin this forward into a dynasty context into 2017. I'm still going to have Lamar Miller before ahead of Kenneth Dixon because it, it, in the end, Kenneth Dixon is an you know sort of I want him to be Ray Rice or Doug Martin. I want him to be that weeble who wobbles so doesn't fall down, and that's what he shows in the receiving game. Yes, and maybe maybe he'll show it in the running game someday, and maybe it's part just sort of offensive system that's stinky right now. And and there's I like him. I like him. But I'm not, I don't know that I think he's any more of a work share guy than Miller will wind up being over the course of their careers. I think they'll both be 70% type guys. I'm not sure anybody's ever handing the reins over to Kenneth Dixon and saying, okay, now you are Jordan Howard, who might not be a great player, but by golly, you're getting 20 carries every week. Cool. I'm, I'm in. You know, I don't know that I think Dixon is that player. So I'm going to be honest. I, I guess we disagree there. I I see where you're coming from because Miller is maddening, and I I am Ugh. I didn't I didn't have Miller as a first round pick this year. I Ugh. don't think Miller is a full time back. I think you've had enough now evidence that he's either going to get hurt or someone's going to get mad at him or whatever. All those things are true, so we probably agree on Miller's value. Maybe just you like Dixon a little bit more than I do, but I I don't think that's a crazy opinion to hold at all. Well, Lamar Miller is a fake bell cow. That's official. Yeah. Kenneth Dixon could be a genuine bell cow because at Louisiana Tech, 42.4%, 90th percentile college dominator rating, and a 10% college target share. So he has proven an ability that Lamar Miller never did, going all the way back to his time at Miami, to absorb workhorse level touches and be super active in the passing game in the way that Lamar Miller has never been. So for those reasons, I would project Kenneth Dixon to be a bell cow in the future that I would never be able to do that for Lamar Miller. Lamar Miller is great at one thing. If there's a wide running lane, he can score a 90-yard touchdown. I don't disagree with that. If I am able to set up the perfect running lane, a runway for a running back, give it to Lamar Miller. Let him run straight and score a touchdown. I'm cool with that. But all the other phases, I'd rather have a guy like Kenneth Dixon. Eh. But officially, this is the week of the Kenneth. Kenneth Dixon, Kenneth Farrow, particularly in DFS. And the Kenneths are also here to remind us that zero RB strategy is here to stay. So what's your opinion of zero RB strategy, which has been under attack the last 10 weeks? You know, I don't I don't adhere to any strategy. I just want good players. All I did was fight off people who said you're dumb for having running backs rated high this summer. And then I don't know, next summer, who am I going to fight off? I'm going to fight off dogma. I just don't believe in dogma. My my way of evaluating is I spend a crap ton of tam- time watching what these players actually look like. I will certainly also look at some select numbers and see kind of for frame of reference to be able to compare people because sometimes you're in a good mood when you watch film and sometimes you're in a bad mood. But I, 
in the end, I want people that I believe are good and I want to stay away from people who I believe are not as good as the market is valuing them. And if the market wants to now go say that you have to go seven running backs in the first round, I'm going to go, okay, here I go. I'm going to sweep up. I'm going to scoop up some wide receivers. Cool. And this year people wanted to say, don't take any running backs in the first round. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to take some running backs in the first round. And, and they're going to be the ones I like. And you know what? Like I had Adrian Peterson on that list. I had Todd Gurley on that list until the training camp madness got underway. I had Jamal Charles on that list. I'm going to live with that. I'm going to live. I'm going to be okay because I feel like especially going into 2017, we, we were at a crucial point at the end of a generation of running backs at the, at the 30 year old mark for a bunch of running backs. And now we find ourselves with a generation of running backs who are like, Ooh, how old's Zeke Elliott, Le'Veon Bell. Ooh, cool. David Johnson is mm-hmm. how old? Even, mm-hmm. even Todd Gurley. Mm-hmm. Right. So 21 year old backs, baby. Right. And I like I like those players as well. Like I like them as players. It's not like I think they're Eddie Lacy, who's the product of a system or. Yeah. People think that Todd Gurley's not a right. good running he's back now. Yeah. Do people actually. Oh, think definitely. That he's they do. not good. Yeah, they do. He's not a good player. Yeah. Of course, Todd Gurley's a good player. He's got to be back. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I mean, I'm not sure you're going to have to take him in the first round in a lot of leagues. We'll see how the how the how the echo chamber works out this summer. Right. Oh, the echo chamber. Yes. You know, at the very least, I would say value him in the second, and then when everybody else values him in the fourth, cool, you get a great player in the second. But but to go back to your original question, the problem I have with zero RB says now I'm just taking receivers for receiver's sake, right? And now I might not be getting good players or Keenan Allen in the first, right? Round. So in the end, what I want are good players. I still think that I get where the 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 notion. See, you know, obviously people will just look at the way fantasy works and say running backs are more scarce so why should value running backs more and i get that the bout the pushback to that is okay but i can't tell which ones are going to get hurt and so i want to lock in some safety at wide receiver i i get that i still think i can i can come up with a solution that feels safer over a longer swath of the season in in at least at least the leagues i play in at wide receiver deeper you know leagues where it's competitive leagues where it's 12 plus teams leagues where i can't just get it whatever i want in the waiver wire I can solve receiver still better than I can solve running back usually because fine. Rob Kelly was an awesome story for a little while and I, I fixed it with Rob Kelly. Whoops. Like that's not like Kenneth Farrow is going to fix it for a week maybe. But then if he doesn't this week, I'm hosed for the finals. Like in, in the end, I still feel like I can fix wide receiver a little bit better because there's just so many of them. Um, and so I, maybe I'll tilt if it's a tie towards running back. But honestly, I think we're probably on the same page. Like if you're telling me you like Todd Gurley next year, we are brothers because I I do too. And, and my thing is like, I just want good players. I don't believe in overreacting to small sample sizes and even a full NFL season. Christopher is a small sample size. It's only 16 games. Of course it is. It absolutely is. You're right. A player can be betrayed by his situation and that's by consensus what's happened to Todd Gurley we talked to Brad Evans last week and he talked about how he believes fantasy football is broken up into three phases phase one your draft phase two your in-season moves trades and free agent pickups and then luck so it's basically a pie chart with three components equally distributed among those three things (laughs) and if you think about it like that when I am drafting I am trying to minimize the risk that is inherent in the draft piece of the puzzle. I don't want the draft to be the thing that blows my team up. And the easiest, safest way to do that 
is to implement some version of zero RB because it's anti-fragile. Now, looking back, that wasn't the optimal draft concept for 2016. If we were backward looking and reverse engineering our draft concepts, the best approach round by round, position by position would be RB and then wide receiver times five and then draft Aaron Rodgers in round seven and then Travis Kelsey in round eight. If we could go do it all over again with with tomorrow's newspaper, that would be the way we would draft David Johnson, lots of receivers, Aaron Rodgers, Travis Kelsey. Thank you for my championship. Have a good day. That's how I would do it. But we we don't have that luxury. And when I say anti-fragile, I don't mean injury prone. I mean, running backs year to year are, like you said, they're harder to predict. They're more volatile year to year than the wide receiver position. With the wide receiver projections that we're making in August are more stable. The running back projections we're making in August need to be discounted because they're less predictable. And that's where value-based drafting falls apart. Value-based drafting is fine as long as you're adding a volatility quotient to your projections across positions. But fantasy gamers don't do that. They look at value one for one across positions. That's the great failing of value-based drafting. The great failure of what you're describing, though, is I I need I don't know. I think I think. The great failure of all fantasy ranks is that they're not accounting for how my league is. How's my league, damn you? Or how's your league? Or how's someone else's league? That's another problem. So I'm ranking for scarcity, and I'm ranking for for leagues where people are on top of things. And if people are playing in a 10-team league where your cousins aren't paying attention, then taking a running back early doesn't make any sense at all. I completely agree with that. But if in the league that I, a 16-teamer where everybody's paying attention, I need something from the scarce position I need if I don't get it I'm not going to find it too many of those guys are going to get drafted and the I think where what where what you're saying falls apart is the idea that you're going to solve the running back problem somewhere down the line because you're essentially robbing Peter to pay Paul you're if you're going to define the football season as three segments which is insane because what is that supposed to mean i'm not supposed to do it what can i do about luck i don't i don't know what if that, how that's a se- its own segment but well you gotta take that up with brad evans okay the, the the draft and then the rest of the season if you're just gonna say i'm gonna eliminate risk in the draft well that's all you're doing is injecting that same risk into the regular season be, at least in the leagues i play in i can't be assured that the the running backs that i'm able to get on the waiver wire especially heaven forbid i go four and zero in september and i'm picking you know the 15th among the waiver wire or especially if i make one bad call on my fab and i now can no longer afford to take shot after shot after at the tim hightowers or whoever you didn't bid enough on jordan howard <laughs> fair fair that is fair but um you know, in the end, you're going to wind up assuming the same amount of risk. It's sort of just a matter of when you when you do it. For me, the the v- VBD works better, at least to drill into people's heads the idea that what matters is the value over the player that you can replace him with, not the absolute figure. Because we're both not sitting here saying take quarterbacks. Oh, yeah, we're past that. Thankfully, the intellectualization of fantasy football has allowed the entire community to move past drafting based on total fantasy points per game so we don't have the quarterbacks being drafted in the first round any longer 
the next big step in the evolution is going to be the incorporation of the positional volatility into the valuation system, into the valuation scheme. And my point is that even when you add a volatility quotient to your valuations across positions, mm -hmm. even then mm -hmm. someone who's leveraging zero RB for all the right reasons, not just because it's in vogue and they're just taking wide receivers to take wide receivers, but they understand the intellectual foundation of zero RB. Those that are drafting with the right intellectual foundation could find themselves in 2017 drafting a running back in the first round because Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson and Ezekiel Elliott's value is so high they exceed the stream, their VORP, their VOS is so much higher than the next available replacement on the waiver wire that even when you add the positional volatility quotient, their valuation still dwarfs the best receiver on the board. So then you're drafting RB in the first round followed by wide receivers, the thing you should have been doing in 2016. Yeah, I just guess maybe I take issue with the idea that there is such a thing as positional volatility. I think in the end, what there is is player volatility, right? Individual players. And then some years it's going to work out and some players it's going to work out and then other players were going to be wrong. And that just comes with small sample size. It's just it's what you said and you nailed right off the very top, which is unfortunately, if Des Bryant bangs himself, bangs his knee, you know, in week three, suddenly the positional volatility of first one right round wide receivers looks insane because he was a part of that, right? And if uh, Odell Beckham pouts and doesn't get a couple of targets for a few weeks, his positional volatility, you know, the wide receiver positional volatility starts to look way, way, way more volatile. If Adrian Peterson can't make it out of week one without, or week two without getting hurt, positional volatility looks insane. And then there are, but then there are years where that doesn't happen. And Eddie Lacy's positional volatility two years ago had nothing to do with his health. It had to do with, it didn't have anything to do with him. Like we all, we like running backs for different reasons. We like players for different reasons. I, nobody really argued for Eddie Lacy as an awesome talent or CJ Anderson as an awesome talent going into 2015. You said, Hey, they're the caddy for, for fantasy purposes. I don't care if they're good. They're the caddy for a great offense. Those two offenses fell apart. What I, now, now the running back position is more volatile. Basically it's more volatile for two reasons. The bust rates are higher at the running back position and the injury rates are higher at the running back position. That's why if you just look at the weekly rankings this week, you're going to see in the top 20, you're going to see Kenneth Farrow, you're going to see Tevin Coleman, Spencer Ware, Bilal Powell, LeGarrette Blunt, Jordan Howard, Kenneth Dixon, Theo Riddick. Those were all zero RB backs, whereas the top wide receivers this year, while Keenan Allen is out for the year and a handful of top wide receivers did flame out, you're still looking at Antonio Brown, Jordy Nelson, Odell Beckham, AJ Green, Des Bryant, hold on, Mike Evans. Hold on, hold, hold on. That's that's an insanely disingenuous intellectual argument. That's incredibly disingenuous. You just said here are all the players I didn't expect to be in the running back list without giving me the ones you did, and then you didn't give me the ones you did. You you wouldn't have expected to be in the wide receiver list. Woo, down boy. 
right after I said Mike Evans, the next guy on my list was going to be Devontae Adams. And then you have Tyrell Williams. You have Tyreek Hill, Jamison Crowder. So there were certainly big surprises in the wide receiver position. When you're comparing across positions, you're going to see more surprises in that top 20 in the running backs every year than you will surprise wide receivers. A hundred percent agree with that, but I'm also not getting the value over replacement from a top wide receiver as I am for a running back that hits. And that's the that's the trade-off that you're making. That's why there isn't a right way to approach this. If I hit on the running back during the draft, he is going to outpace the the running back the the, the zero RB running back that I can just pick up more than Julio Jones is if he hits is going to outpace the wide receiver that I can pick up. How annoying is Julio Jones by the way? It's just so annoying. I can't <laughs> He's annoying. We talked about it in the offseason from a dynasty perspective. We had to justify having Antonio Brown ranked ahead of Julio Jones in dynasty even though Julio Jones is technically younger than Antonio Brown, but one guy has the explosive athleticism that puts a strain on his lower body like Calvin Johnson and Antonio Brown doesn't. Antonio Brown could have a Jerry Rice-like career arc. That's not going to happen with Julio Jones and we're seeing it again this year with ankles and toes and knees and everything. Yeah. That's not even a question. I'm just lamenting that. I'm sorry. It doesn't seem to be going away every single year. And I wonder, do you do you find that AJ Green is falling into that into that same category? It is. It's frustrating. I don't understand it. AJ Green has a low BMI. He's one of those svelte wide receivers, and that way he was an outlier. There's very few of the tall, skinny prototypes in the NFL. That was the big question mark with Tajay Sharp in the spring. He looked great in seven on seven drills. Mm -hmm. Would a wide receiver at the bottom percentile in BMI be able to translate the skills in seven on seven drills? to Sunday football, and that hasn't happened for Tajay Sharp either. But as you mentioned, there were a bunch of wide receivers that hit this year that came from the waiver wire. Thank God for those of us that drafted Keenan Allen. <laughs> this was a great year in fantasy football. I think we're going to take a step back in January and assess this year. But what you talked about earlier, the value over replacement that you're getting this year with Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson, we haven't had this in years. It's been so long since we've had the true stud weekly matchup winner running backs in our backfields. Harkening back, wishing for the days of LaDainian Tomlinson for years, and we're now in the midst of a running back renaissance, so we should be enjoying the now, living for the now, enjoying the running back production, and you're going to see a lot of teams winning with David Johnson and or Le'Veon Bell on top, and then some mix of wide receivers they picked up off the waiver wire. There are a handful of wide receivers that have been producing either consistently or on and off all year that I feel have been underrated all year and are still underrated. I have a top 10 list. Can I give you a top 10 most underrated wide receivers? And then you tell me if there's a particular one you want to kick off that list and if there's a particular one you want to add to that list. Let me just respond to the idea that it's been so long since we've had running backs do this. I mean, they didn't do it in 2015. They did it in 2014. Murray, Bell. 
Le'Veon Bell did do it in 2014. That's right. Murray was better. Murray, Bell, Lynch, Forte, Foster, and Lacey all finished ahead of any other, in in VBD terms, all finished higher than any other. In 2013, Jamal Charles. He was insane. LaShawn McCoy, Matt Forte, Marshawn Lynch, Noshawn Moreno in Denver. Like, I just don't have a short memory. 2015 is the year when that didn't happen. I have the shortest memory. If it happened before 2015, it might as well have never happened for me. I am a prisoner of the moment. You need to lock me up, Christopher Harris. You, <laughs> a Police need to come to my house, and Officer Harris needs to knock on the door and put me in the back of the patrol car and charge me with prisoner of the moment. Okay, so uh, give me your give me your underrated wide receivers. I'm 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 fascinated by this topic. Oh, the, the contrived list radio. Yes, this is this is <laughs> this is the most sportsy sports talk segment I've ever done. Right now, everyone, brace yourself. This is the most sportsy this show is ever going to get. Top ten. I don't even know where I came up with this stupid list. <laughs> Top ten most underrated wide receivers of 2016: Ted Ginn, Taylor Gabriel, Ken. Britt, Jamison Crowder, Cole Beasley, Dontrell Inman, and or Tyrell Williams, Doug Baldwin, Adam Thielen, Marquise Lee. So what am I, that's a, you said that name fast, those names fast, what am I picking out? I don't know, I forgot why I did this. <laughs> are there names that you think I perceive as underrated that are actually rated fairly, and are there underrated wide receivers that I missed? That's cool. Um, so Doug Baldwin's not underrated. Good God, people love Doug Baldwin. I actually think Doug Baldwin might be a little overrated, um, just because even for the for the, for NFL purposes, for for fantasy purposes, I just think slot receivers are somewhat limited. Just some, the ceiling is a little bit. You know what I mean? Like. I, 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 I like my guys not to have to run through the whole defense to make a play, and that's a totally disingenuous argument because Doug Baldwin goes deep sometimes, but not that much. I mean, his average depth of target is like 80th in the league or something among wide receivers right there with Julian Edelman and all the other slot receivers. 8.5 average depth of target. Not good. No, it's, I mean, you're, you know, your, your main primary dudes are well into the 13s, 14s, 15s. And, um, so, so I think he's probably maybe at least fairly rated, if not a little overrated. I think Tyrell Williams at this point is starting to get to the point where people need to go, okay, well, yeah, he's big and he can run. I'm not sure he can do anything else though. Like, I, I think he's fine. Like the, the deep catch that he made last week against Carolina, that's a good play. It's into double coverage and he sort of has good body control where the defensive back sort of fall away and he jumps in front of him makes a nice play the reason it stands out to me the reason i can recall it is because i haven't seen too much of that football sense type stuff from tyrell williams uh, dontrell inman is just another guy so uh, williams is better than inman the backhanded compliment of tyrell williams right. great job buddy right, right. haven't seen that all year <laughs> he's been good for fantasy so nobody's you know he's top 10 receiver for fantasy um I can't complain. Right. And like, so um, he's better than Inman probably as a prospect. I just don't think either one is. If you have Keenan Allen and Travis Benjamin, you probably shouldn't need Tyrell Williams as a big time weapon. So like, uh, you know, in in the end, this feels to me like a season that comes from um, necessity rather than really super wanting to use a guy. And I don't know. I'm I'm guessing I'm not that all, all that into him. Oh, so you're actually, you would be selling Tyrell Williams in Dynasty then? Probably, depending on what, do you think, I, I'm interested in what you think. Do you think 
that you'd get a lot for him? I don't know. Yeah. The reason I said he was underrated is because every week I do the rankings and I am more bullish on Tyrell Williams than the consensus. Than I am, certainly, yeah. yeah. And then he keeps performing and I'm just wondering if anyone is ever going to evaluate him based on his role in Fair. this season's Charger offense. He's the featured guy in this season's Chargers offense. It's not Travis Benjamin. Whether it's the PCL injury right. or not, I'm not a doctor, but Tyrell Williams is the one that's receiving the targets. He's making the plays downfield. It's not been Travis Benjamin. And the reason why he wasn't a big-time college producer is because he played his final season at Western Oregon with a torn labrum. He's having that issue again this year, but if he's healthy going into 2017, he's going to be 25 years old. His measurables are top of the league, 1038, 98th percentile catch radius on playerprofiler.com. This is an exciting talent. He's similar to Cameron Meredith in that way, small school player, underwhelmed at the college level, but he's been able to translate his athleticism into big plays at the NFL level, and that's been an upset. So I I agree, and it's funny he was a super deep sleeper of mine on that list of ten that I do um, in the in the summer, and so I feel like I should be doing a victory lap. I should be going look at me right, and instead I'm like sort of downplaying him and going oh, I don't think he's this good really. Um, he has the same number of fantasy points in a standard ESPN league as Amari Cooper, so you just go okay, well it's been a great season, and where's it come from? It. If you if you asked me the question, who do you prefer as a prospect between Tyra Williams and Cameron Meredith? Oh, 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 Tyra Williams. <laughs> I don't like Cameron Meredith at all. I don't think he's I think Tyra Williams has legitimate um, sort of not not just build up speed like he he legitimately has some suddenness. He gets sort of diagonal across the field and you're like, whoa, nobody's going to get him. That Josh Gordon thing, that freight train thing. I don't yeah. think I don't think Cameron Meredith has that. I don't I know his measurables are, are good I, just from having seen him play. He makes one big long play against the Colts, but it was against Patrick Robinson, who's just the worst. You know, I, 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 I can't get into him. I'd be more interested in Tyrell Williams, but I don't know. I, I think we both are sort of in that mode of not exactly knowing what his dynasty value, how, how people are going to value him since this has been so weird with the depth chart. I think you can make him available, but you shouldn't be selling him for anything less than a first round rookie pick. I think he's worth at least a first round rookie pick. Now, we're talking about the underrated wide receivers. We didn't talk about overrated wide receivers. I think you mentioned the most overrated wide receiver in redraft has been Amari Cooper. He's been underperforming his weekly rank week in, week out. Yeah. Two players that have been outperforming their weekly ranks all season, Devontae Adams and Marquise Lee. I didn't mention Devontae Adams on that list because I think Devontae Adams is finally now being ranked properly. But when you look at Devontae Adams and you look at Marquise Lee, these are two players that were completely dismissed this offseason. They were toxic, radioactive third-year wide receivers. Is there a radioactive wide receiver who's in his second year now that could be next year's Devontae Adams or Marquise Lee? I mean, I don't know. I don't have the list in front of me. I will say I, I don't believe in Marquise. I still don't believe in Marquise Lee. I think it's cool because Alan Hearns is out. The, the reason to dismiss Marquise Lee before the summer was smart lot logic. It was he's maybe the slot receiver for Blake Bortles. <laughs> That's, right. That's pretty. That's the bare minimum. 
right. I'm not interested in that. And and he's this past week he played outside almost exclusively and he had a good week. And part of that is because the Vikings are top heavy with which, you know, with one corner being good and the other one being eh. So they put Xavier Rhodes on Allen Robinson and then you get Marquise Lee playing on, on the outside opposite just some guy, right? A, an old guy even. And uh and then you get you get a, a nice performance. He, he's like I'm not excited about Marquise Lee, so people can take that. He'd be a sell for me in Dynasty as well. And I don't have the full list of, if you want to rattle off some third-year wide receivers, I'd be glad to react. I'll give you a basket of four wide receivers. Okay. And because you don't like Marquise Lee, of these four, yeah. can any of them be next year's Devontae Adams? Are you ready? I'm ready. Brashad Perriman, Philip Dorsett, Nelson Aguilar, Devin Funches. Uh, you know, Aguilar, no way. He's not. I mean, Aguilar has the Marquise Lee problem, which is, you know, USC. <laughs> this The USC is turning out nothing but like two small possession receiver types who Robert Woods, you know, I just don't want any part of those guys. We'll see with the with uh, Smith Schuster. Um, he's, he's, he's not of that body type, right? So we'll see whether, whether Juju is, is sort of different. He, he looks like a first round pick too. Um, I'm very big fan of Juju Smith Schuster. Did you hear what I said? I did. Yeah. 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 I'm a big fan. Sorry. I, I mumbled it because I don't, I can't even say it very loudly. It's, I'm just so anxious about maybe getting him in dynasty rookie drafts that I uh, can't even say it at full volume. <laughs> Well, it depends on where he lands also. And, th- and that's going to be Brashad Perriman's problem. I'm, I, Brashad Perriman has the ability yes. to be a star in the league, but I just yes. don't know that he's on the, on the team. No! I, I just don't know that, I, that he's on the team that's ever going to take advantage because the, the, uh, the offensive coordinator is an idiot. Uh, he probably isn't the offensive coordinator next year, but uh, like, I don't like Joe Flacco. I, don't, I just don't I, – <clears throat> you know, it's hard. I guess you say, all right, there's no Steve Smith next year. Mike Wallace will be there, but anybody who's trying to run an office, run an offense through Mike Wallace is probably getting what they deserve. May, you know, there's a big time opening there, but can you get Joe Flacco not to check down? Can you get him to throw it accurately? I don't know if you can. I, I don't. I don't like him as a quarterback. So, <clears throat> Brashad Perriman would be the one I'm most yes interested in. As like, I think you could be Devontae Parker. Like, I'm really excited about Devontae Parker, big time. Yes. And and I think he's he has the offensive mind at least maybe not the quarterback yet but the offensive mind that's going to take advantage of what he can do and I don't think Perriman has that but I think he could be I I could get as excited about Perriman as I am about Parker I didn't put Parker on that list because Parker started his ascension already he's had some good right. games and Marquise Lee and Devonte Adams didn't have any good games in 2015 we talked earlier about how you made the move from ESPN personality to independent entrepreneur, fantasy sports mogul, really. <laughs> so you've been in the industry a long time. I have a couple industry. I have an industry nemesis, Michael Fabiano. <laughs> Do you have an industry nemesis? Is he... Like, like what, how, what form does this nemesisness take? Like, do you, do you actively hate each other or you just sort of rag on each other? I criticize him on my podcast with some frequency and he blocked me on Twitter. Oh, like it. Okay. Um, no, he doesn't know who I am. It's a common show premise. Got it. That you don't like. Yeah. Let's analyze the ridiculous thing that Michael Fabiano <laughs> said this week. I'm not going to argue with you too much there on that. And I like Mike a lot. I know. Oh, I'm- yes. Yes. Personally, I've had him on my my have had him on I've had him on my show. Um, he's a good dude. Like I like him as a person. Uh, and actually, I got recorded by the NFL Network about I don't know four years ago, five years ago, and uh, and came kind of close to taking an offer. And then ESPN stepped up with like a big raise, and I was like, okay, I'll just stay here. Um, so I might I I almost was in LA working with Mike. Um, 
So I like him. I like him just fine. I don't really have it. No, there's nobody. I mean, no, none. No, because at some point, I don't know very much about other people's analysis. I really stay away. I don't listen. I don't read. I don't. I don't never look at anybody else's ranks except for people who are going to be on my show where we're talking about our ranks that week. I am. Um, I feel like from my level of immersion into the NFL, which is extreme to say the least, like watching every minute of every play, um, in, in real time, like in the week of, you know, the Monday after, I just feel like that's enough fodder for my opinion. And so my opinion should just sort of be my opinion. I have a lot of good reasons why. And then sometimes that opinion is totally wrong, but I just don't feel like I have a handle. I don't know enough about what other people say and what, Oh, that guy's your binky or that was a dumb thing to think, or that was a stupid reason. I think a lot of reasons are stupid. And like a lot of the listeners, I guess are parroting back something that they heard from someone else, but I don't ever hear this. I don't hear the something else. That's what happens to me. I don't listen to his show or follow him on Twitter. I can't because I'm blocked. But now the buzzards in the audience have been trained to drop takes on my doorstep with a little nudge, a little elbow nudge. Hey, you might want to take a look at this. <laughs> yeah. So like my, my thing that I, like the phrase that I coined in my tenure at ESPN, that's now become a big thing in, in the show now is crutch arguments, like things that are sort of, uh, you know, I guess, okay. I, I, or a, a, a thing that's true. Like they did sign a second receiver, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean it's good for the first receiver or bad for the first receiver. Like, is it is it good because he's taking attention away? Is it bad because he's taking targets away? Oh, right. Yes. Crutch, crutch arguments are things when you've already made up your mind and you come up with a reason. Well, I like Des Bryant because they have Terrence Williams. Like, well, okay, that could be a bad thing, though. Right? And so uh, it, it's like... <laughs> yes. Confirmation bias soaked reverse engineered analysis. That's what it is. That's what a crutch argument is. And so... A, a lot of what I get on Twitter is like, you know, I get a retweet from someone going, look at this crutch argument. And I just don't pay attention. So speaking of crutch arguments that we're now seeing across sports media, who should the Cowboys be starting at quarterback? Tony Romo or Dak Prescott? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know if that's a crutch argument one way or the other. I'm just saying you're seeing a lot of confirmation bias driven analysis of right. Dak Prescott on one hand or Tony Romo on the other. I just happen to be one of the few holdouts who has continued to say that Tony Romo should be the starting quarterback and that there is a hidden cost of not playing him and you're not going to see that cost until they lose a game 10-7 to 7 in the playoffs. I can see that. I mean, you're getting... the Where, where the confirmation bias is, it's like... The same people who were saying Dak Prescott for MVP, he's unbelievable. I can't believe these numbers are now saying, look at him, check it down. Well, no, he's been checking it down all year. So I don't you don't get to just change your mind yes. right now. Right. There's no question in my mind from having watched all these cowboy games is uh, no question in the world that Tony Romo would be more aggressive at quarterback than Dak Prescott has been. That would that is for sure. Um, and so then, OK, that might be the case. The what I worry about, though, hidden speak of hidden costs is like the one thing we don't know is our interpersonal dynamic stuff, chemistry, all that nonsense. Those things are all crutch arguments because we don't know them. But that doesn't mean they're not real. Chemistry is absolutely a real thing. It's just most people, when they talk about what great chemistry a quarterback and a wide receiver have, they're saying it because the production's good. Like you don't hear a lot of 
talk about the great chemistry between Brock Osweiler and 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 someone, right? Because Brock Osweiler's not playing well, so of course he doesn't have good chemistry. They might get along great. They might be on absolutely the same page. They might know every. They might be able to complete each other's sentences. But if they're not playing well, that, that means they don't have good chemistry. So something I don't know is just how it would go over in that locker room. That's a very young locker room with a lot of young players in key spots. Where would they just be? Would they? Would you conceivably sort of have people throw up their hands and say? you know, crap, what's the kid got to do? You know, would they, would there sort of be an interpersonal hidden cost? I don't, I'm not saying there is, I'm saying we don't know that. And so maybe the decision will come down to how good or how bad that, you know, situation actually is with the perception of the people who are there. The key for me in navigating the crutch argument is to ask the question, can we measure this phenomenon? If we can measure it, then let's see if it's predictive and maybe use it. If we can't measure it, it becomes very difficult to give it much weight when you're setting up your analysis. Yes, I would add, though, that if you can lay eyes on it, measuring maybe is 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 one way to think of it. And then also if I could lay eyes on it, like, I don't know, the idea that, oh, my God, you know, the um, gosh, that running back is going to be so much better because they drafted a guard in the first round, right? Well, okay, sometimes that's true. And sometimes it has absolutely no effect in the first year. And sometimes it has absolutely no effect because the guard in the first round was a terrible call. Like uh, the Cardinals seem to have done that a few times where they didn't exactly turn into a running juggernaut by drafting uh, the kid from Carolina, like in the top five or whatever it was. It's, you know, for me, it's if you're just going to make a squishy argument that's kind of not really observable in any way, whether, like you said, measurement or whether I can actually I can watch and see whether I think a player's good. But if you're just sort of speculating and saying, you know what, in my if you can measure it with precision, great. Mm -hmm. It would be nice to observe it at the very least. And if we can't even observe it, like you're saying, then it becomes impossible to give it much weight. Sure. I mean, I guess maybe. If someone can say for absolute sure something that I can't observe, like I know for 100% certainty that you would lose the locker room if you went to Romo and you'd lose Zeke Elliott and you'd lose the offensive line that loves Prescott, blah, blah, blah. It's just nobody nobody can actually say that with 100% certainty. Jason Garrett might be able to say it, but he's not gonna. And anybody else who's gonna say it is gonna be speculating and then it get that's crutchy. That's crutchy. What about the other narrative that never gets brought up? The narrative that we heard a couple weeks ago that we should be playing Marcus Wilson on the Bears because he has great rapport with <laughs> Matt Barkley. They were both on the practice squad together. They were backups together. They're best buddies. No wonder Matt Barkley keeps feeding Marcus Wilson. Crutchy. crutchy. There's great rapport there. The rapport effect. Well, who has more rapport with Des Bryant and Jason Witten than Tony Romo, their quarterback, for years and years? Sure, the the point is all of that stuff is nonsense and retrofitted, like you said, just nonsense. You know, this is, you, you can't say one way or the other, so you just sort of say what you think. Not you, the person who's making the argument. All I'm asking is if you're going to give me these baseless... That's right. A apply them across all situations. The baseless anecdotal arguments. Yeah, just yeah. balance it out, please. Yeah. Fair and balanced. Please make it balanced. Like, just don't always pick the thing that justifies starting Dak Prescott. Please stop it! Uh, agreed. I, I think I would still be on the side of playing Prescott because I, I don't know what Romo... No! Come on! ...is in practice. I guess if you told me for 100% that he's exactly what he was at his peak, you know, at his peak healthiness, healthiest, and for sure in practice he looks amazing and 
he, nobody ever drops a ball. And he, there's an argument to be made that says this kid isn't winning for us anymore. But boy, I, it feels to me like this is the magic carpet ride that wasn't expected and probably won't recur next year. And it's sort of lightning in a bottle. Just ride it as far as it goes. And then when you lose, you lose. Like, I don't think the Cowboys are winning the Super Bowl. I honestly don't think Tony Romo is winning the Super Bowl. Like, I, I sort of feel like this is not a roster that it's a Super Bowl winning roster. It's put it this way. It's not a defense. I don't think the quarterback's going to be the reason you win or lose. In the end, it's going to be the defense that kills you. Instead of talking about the hold that Dak Prescott has in the locker room, I would love for a Cowboys beat reporter to talk about how Tony Romo looks mm. in practice. If Tony Romo is a degraded version of his former self and that's observable, then that's the reason that I'm cool with Dak Prescott all the way, man. Tony Romo's not 2014 Tony Romo anymore. He's a lesser version of the Tony Romo brand. He's degraded. Then my argument for starting Tony Romo completely evaporates. But that's not what I'm hearing. And that's what's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, in the end, who cares what they're saying? I, you know, just you just don't pay attention to the things these people say. The echo chamber is not a, a purveyor of truth most of the time. You know, they're gonna it's gonna be what it's gonna be, and you know there are there's so little of practice that's actually useful for anybody to watch and make conclusions, especially during the regular season. Now that we're in week 15, like even if they were reporting on the 15 minutes of practice they saw, it wouldn't really tell us anything. So in, in the end, there's just going to be some things that are unknowable to us. And we can only, I like what you said. It's the stuff we can measure, whether it's measure with a measuring stick or with our eyeballs, you know, that's the only stuff that we should be really obsessing over. Cause the rest of it, it's like, yeah, it's, it's real. It's just not within our purview. Can you measure it with precision? That's the best. Can you at least observe it? Great. We'll talk about it. If you can do neither, get out of here. Get out of my face with that. The, but I think the audience picked up on something that happened. You actually struck to the heart of what's real in that what you're getting from me right now is faux outrage. <laughs> <laughs> you, in a very subtle way, you called me out on my faux outrage. There's no reason to be this upset about what the beat reporters are saying. And you're absolutely right. Yeah. I'm not actually upset about this at all. Yeah. <laughs> I picked up on that, and I wanted to make sure that the audience picked up on that, that you have decoded the entire construct of the show. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think the entire construct, but maybe that one particular issue. (laughs) And, I mean, we haven't talked very much about the... They look behind the curtain. Yeah, but we haven't talked very much about the sort of nonsense that swirls out that... You know, fortunately, by this time of the year, because we've all seen them all play so much that probably we can't get hoodwinked by Devin Funches looking awesome and amazing in training camp or Sterling Shepard and Odell Beckham being almost exactly the same player in training camp. All those things because. Oh, yes. They're almost equivalent. Right. Because there's so much content square inches to fill that we just get blah, 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 blah. And then and then my entire occupation in the month of August is basically fighting off all this silliness. Uh, and, and we get less of it as the season goes along. This is why many of my listeners wanted to have you on the show. We share sensibilities. I just did. A, oh, that's nice. Half of my last show was all about how the volume of analysis vastly exceeds the amount of sports and games we have to analyze that sports coverage has outkicked its coverage. 
<laughs> that makes some sense, yeah. I mean, in, in the end, what it comes down to for me, I mean, having come from ESPN, it's sort of the heart of it all, is that you have a lot of people who would love to talk about this stuff, but not necessarily do the work necessary to be informed about it. So it becomes, let's talk about the personality, or can you believe that guy didn't get shake that guy's hand? Or what is that? what does it mean that LeBron wore his sweatpants for a little extra time? Or whatever, right? All the stuff that I just don't, I can't, I can't make myself care about. And, and doing the work of... For example, I mean, in my particular case, what I've chosen to do is watch every game and at least come up with takes and opinions on what the players actually are. I grant you that it's not objective opinion. It's still my eyeballs. It's still my brain. It's still subjective. But I feel at at least there's a bedrock there to say, well, at least, you know, this is why. And I might wind up being wrong, but this is why. And I feel like, you know, yards per carry doesn't doesn't get to that. I'm sorry, it doesn't, you know. I can't have Christopher Harris on the program and not leverage the wealth of knowledge that you have at your disposal from watching all these games because we have two running backs on the same team with dramatically different styles. Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is the better running back from what you've observed? It's they're so they're such different animals that it's tough to, for me to say absolutely who's better. I think probably if if I could take durability out of it, which I can't, but if I could just t- talk about who's who I like watching better on a given play and who I think has a better chance on a given play to make a bunch of cycle. Uh, well, no, I'm going to I'm going to say Freeman on on any on a if I could take durability out of it. If I could roll with just like you know a world where you're not going to get worn down and a world where you're not going to get hurt for being tiny he's crazy what about a world where you don't slip in the shower (laughs) well yeah um i don't think i get that reference (laughs) last year tevin coleman slipped in the shower got a concussion and was put on ir i gotcha so so we don't live in that world. And so I think Devontae, Tevin Coleman has a chance to be something that Devontae Freeman, I don't think ever can be. And so for that reason, taking sort of the longer view, taking the five-year view of their careers, I I actually probably value Coleman a little bit more because I don't, you know, as much as on a play-to-play basis, Freeman's upside is berserk, crazy, amazing. He makes everybody miss. I mean, he's so elusive. The Barry Sanders comparison isn't, as stupid as it usually is when people make a Barry Sanders comparison. It's still stupid. It's just not quite as stupid as it is because he is incredible in traffic. His vision is legitimately great. He's actually powerful relative to his size. He's so slithery, Christopher. He's slithery. Devontae Freeman is so slithery behind the line of scrimmage. You can't see him behind those huge offensive linemen, those 350 pounders. But there he is slipping and sliding through these creases and crevices that we, the observers, can't even see. Only he can see them. In that way, I think of Devontae Freeman as a savant running back. And yet we have to factor in the world that he does get fallen on 300 times a year. 300 pound player or 250 pound player and he isn't last he didn't last at the end of last year and he, he is a really really good player who's designed to be part of a timeshare and tevin coleman while i think his floor is a lot lower than freeman's for the next five years i have to say i think his ceiling is probably higher because he's a really good player too i mean he has a level of burst at his size and uh, i'm not sure i He's not elusive. He's not side to side, laterally like Freeman. My God, but for his size, pretty good. 
better than Jordan Howard, like pretty, pretty good. And if you told me if we woke up in a world four years from now where Freeman's gotten hurt, Kevin Coleman is the number three player in fantasy, you know, I don't think I'd be that shocked. Whereas I think I would be with Freeman. I know he was last year. I think that's the best he's ever going to be. Okay, I'll get you out of here on this one question. Very easy. Give me a percentage chance that Jeff Janis is ever fantasy relevant. I mean, I wouldn't put it at 0%. Oh, come on! Much, much, much higher than 0. Get out of here, Harris. Yeah, I mean, in the end, who cares what they're saying? I criticize him on my podcast with some frequency, and he blocked me on Twitter. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Ted Ginn, Taylor Gabriel, Kenny Britt. God damn it. Ted Ginn, Taylor Gabriel, Kenny Britt. That's going in the outtakes. That's not going to happen with Julio Jones, and we're seeing it again this year with ankles and toes and knees and everything. That's not even a question. I'm just lamenting that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's it, trust me. It's better if we have the ability for me to go like this. I do this for a living. You don't need to do that, but it's fine. <laughs> Whatever you want. I totally blanked on uh, what I was going to say. Sports coverage has outkicked its coverage. If I had an answer, I guess I would. I would patent it. For example, I mean, in my particular case, what I've chosen to do is watch every game. Oh, what'd you think of the agenda? You know, I saw that there. I saw that you sent an email, but I, I, I'm, I can go with whatever you want to go. No problem at all. I got it. I got it. I got it. Thank you. Thank you for that. I just needed that extra little jolt. I'm not gonna yell at you, but hi. <laughs> what about a world where you don't slip in the shower? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I don't think I get that reference. <laughs> I really, honestly, this is not me, me being humble. <laughs> that is a segue. <laughs> I had a little reboot session just a five minutes ago with that whole uh, brain lock, and now we're rebooted, and you're going to see what happens. It's going to be great. I mean, I wouldn't put it at 0%. If NFL games were only three quarters long... <laughs> You'd be really screwed. <laughs> There is no clutch gene. Sorry, Skip Bayless. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Everything is fantastic. Everything we do is the best. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Is you and I will create our own media company and we'll solve all of these problems together. Thanks, Obama. We're familiar with that plot line. We know how this movie ends with Ronnie Hillman. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah either David Johnson or Le'Veon Bell, and I don't know what to do. Um, I don't feel as passionate about it as you do, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't adhere to any strategy. I just want good players. It's only 16 games. Of course it is. David Johnson, lots of receivers, Aaron Rodgers, Travis Kelsey. Thank you for my championship. Have a good day. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. 
maybe I take issue with the idea that there is such a thing as positional volatility. That's an insanely disingenuous intellectual argument. That's incredibly disingenuous. Ooh, down boy. So what am I? That's a, you said that name fast. Those names fast. What am I picking out? I don't know. I forgot why I did this. <laughs> oh, 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 Tyra Williams. I don't like Cameron Merritt at all. Fantasy sports mogul, really. <laughs> that's incredibly disingenuous.